0: Hello, and welcome to Beyond Top 10 Tennis. My name is Dr. Ashley Morgan Burge, and I'm your host. I'm the author of 11 books a ceo of 12 years the founder of a startup set on data privacy but most importantly an elite performance coach of over 18 years having worked with athletes throughout europe the united states and australia and of course most excitingly the world's leading scientist on coach and athlete performance specifically behind how to develop a top 10 tennis ranking that's right it was a world first landmark finding all of the work and the data behind what it really takes to develop that top 10 tennis ranking whilst also i think most importantly considering both sides and when i say both sides we're talking about the player and the coach how they work in tandem to develop that top 10 tennis ranking. I'm behind theories from the optimal performance theory the V by Dr. B to the rule of transference. I've coined terms from the barrier breaker through to the golden rule and as has become custom in each episode we dive into one of my books and draw out additional insights and look the book we've been focusing on is the secrets to optimal performance Success a comprehensive discussion on developing elite coaches and players and look today's episode again it's a little bit different but we're following the same theme I guess a similar pattern as always so look if this is your first time joining us thank you so much but if you've been um, following us for some time now you know what we're all about so look as always buckle in and enjoy the ride. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Look, I hope you're excited about today's episode as much as I am because, look, it's a little bit different. And look, as always, we do like taking that humanized approach. And I know it's really early to get into that, but... Today's episode it really is applicable for the tennis players out there the coaches Obviously athletes in general, but also parents to get a really good understanding of this if not already Um, But also for for the non athletes It's still just as applicable to get your head around that and I think this is one of those topics that really highlights why it's beyond top 10 tennis because whilst we talk about what it really takes and obviously those foundations to the pathway to develop that top 10 tennis ranking we still go beyond the scope of optimal performance parameters and this is really one and look last episode we started the chapter on the athlete body and i think that obviously says a lot because The athlete body specifically at such an early age, and obviously this is um, centered at those who are athletes, who obviously have been training and practicing, because irrespective of what level you are at, you're already entering, I guess, that athlete realm, so to speak. Whereas you're, you're putting, I guess, pressure, and you're requiring, I guess, greater demands of your body than just, being sedentary, just I think um, for for those um, early age athletes, instead of just I guess going to school and playing with your friends, etc., um, and everything else I guess what's encompassed in being a child within let's say uh, twelve years and under, uh, those that obviously begin training at an earlier age within that age bracket, your body requires something different. Because you're going through or you're requiring more of your body then just I think the norm so to speak and obviously if you're age you know from 12 and older and uh, let's say specifically we'd like to say that developmental range but uh, it's between let's say 12 to that 16 17 years of age you're going to progress and require even more of your body. So the athlete body as a whole there. And then you progress even further. So, you know, 18, 19 plus, and it actually really does change from whether it's 25 to 30, 30 to 35, and even beyond that, because we do have players obviously inside the top 10 that are within that age bracket, which is incredibly exciting. Now I know it might be, I guess, new for, for some to go. You know, we do have some incredible elite players in that age bracket these days, but it's not the first time. We have had elite players on both sides of the tour um, in that, um, I guess, that age bracket before. But th- this today's episode's not about that. It, look, if you want to follow along, we are on page 174, and the topic we're diving into today is about sweat, what it tells you and what to look for and so i think that that really underlies um, or underlines the, the pretense for today's episode because irrespective if you are an athlete at any level sweat happens uh, but there's so much we can learn from it and, and what it tells us and it's such a simple metric and it's something we can use to measure from a very early age but Before we dive into it, and I guess share more, it's so important to, I think, remember, and again, I I started on on the younger age group here, and it's so important here to go younger, I guess, populations. So the, the child, you know, when we're looking at the developmental age range, at the very beginning of that spectrum there, is that when we're looking at sweat, we really need to, I think, you know, look at it from a, a different angle because not, not, obviously not every person and obviously boys, girls, males, females are not going to sweat at the same rate, but they're not going to show it as well. And it's very different, obviously, for that, you know, 10, 11 year old, how much they're sweating compared to that 15, 16 year old. Because we have to obviously take into account hormones, their rate of development, their rate of progress. Obviously, what energy expenditure is for one individual compared to the next. There, there are so many variances which we're really not going to dive into. But it's, so it's really looking at from looking at it from a more simplified, I think, angle. But also being conscious of the variances that are there. So this is really for the parents and the coaches out there. So obviously for the child, for the play athlete in, in this situation, to be mindful of what it tells you. Because your child, for the parents, may not come home absolutely drenched in sweat, going, oh my gosh, they've worked so hard. Because they might might just have a, a, a little bit <laughs> um at at, at that age but that's not to say they didn't absolutely work incredibly hard because when we take in consideration obviously you know boys and girls the different rates everyone is going to have a normal sweat ratio so to speak for them um compared to others obviously you're going to have a lot of um boys, for example, or young adolescents that are going to sweat a lot more than I think their female counterparts in this respect. But that is very stereotypical. There there is not one size fits all. That's not the case. And that is where a lot of mistakes can happen or um, just being caught up with thinking that that is a, a factor that you like a um the lack of better wording i guess an indicator there that tells you uh, oh they must have worked really hard that's not always the case because i'm sure a lot of old adults there so the adults in the room can testify that they can sweat so much but they could just be sitting um, at a table <laughs> and it Or there are certain foods for some people that can trigger that that perspiration. So for those of you out there, I think you understand uh, what sweat means to you more than others, rather than being the rule of thumb, thinking that the amount of sweat does tell you that outcome. But there's one thing that remains true for all. which essentially is that if you are sweating, it may not be uh, directly correlated with your energy expenditure and or your work ratio in that respect, but you are still losing that fluid. So if you physically are perspiring and, and obviously sweating, so your body is losing that fluid, that is an indicator to retake. So take that fluid in to replace those lost fluids and that's very important to be mindful of but what obviously happens at that in that earlier age group or within that developmental range where obviously athletes are going to uh, have different perspiration rates they're going to show their sweat in different ways some more than others that's not to say that they're not losing fluids um which is an incredibly in Important, I think, aspect to be very mindful of because I'm going to put my hand up here to say very early on when I started coaching, I wasn't as mindful of this. So it's a very honest track to fall into, whereas the best of us can be very susceptible to this. And it really doesn't matter if you are a coach just beginning or someone that's been in the game for a long time 30, 40 years, or even 20, like myself. it's not, it's being able to have those conversations with that child, with that player athlete to understand how they're obviously feeling, their energy expenditure. So you can get them to rate their energy output on a scale that is understand and explained. Because... A work ratio of a 9 and a 10 could be very different from one person to the next so it's very important and i can't stress this enough to sit down with that child player athlete to have a very good ballpark and understanding of what that means to them because i can guarantee you a nine for one athlete is not going to be a nine for another so If you actually take the time to have a conversation and explain this, because look, one of the seven keys is centered around understanding because miscommunication to uh, misperceptions, everything under that banner. Look, again, that humanized approach. We are all human and something that the data uh, continues to tell us over and over and over again is that we're all different. We are all individuals. There is, again, not that, you know, that that one-sided approach. And if you do not take the time to understand explicitly that, that individual in front of you, so whether it's that child, that adolescent player, that young adult player, it, it doesn't matter here. And it, this is very applicable for the coaches because more often than not, obviously, you are the adult in the room. And likewise with the parents and the ability to understand from that perspective. So this really comes back to that triangular approach that we've touched on. So the dynamic between the parent and the coach, because what can happen here is that the parents can really help the coaches have a better understanding of their child, but it works both ways. Uh, The coach could see newer patterns evolve in the, I guess that, that playing context to share them back with the parent because it's twofold here and can obviously help the athlete in play and their performances but also in life so whether it's school or other endeavors the the element of understanding is incredibly powerful but let's rein it back into when we're looking at performance energy expenditure and obviously yes sweat comes into that and being able to have a discussion and so we really want to set the stage here between the coach and that player and what one means to them it really easy let's say a one it's just really just really easy or what a five obviously means to them is that they're actually working quite hard but they can maintain that for a certain amount of time and there's no problem I'm feeling pretty good or a 10 actually means is that they are struggling they are struggling for that last breath they have just had a 50 ball rally and it was intense and they need to sit down and they are on the brink of being dehydrated they need to have those fluids ideally we don't want a 10 that's not that we want to say. But it really depends if it's that work, that, that work ratio or that energy expenditure. So two different things. You could be trying really hard and being able to maintain that, opposed to reaching your absolute max where you ha- you were physically unable to go any further. So it's very important to explain what a 10 could be in the given context. Because on one hand, you want that 10, You want to be able to push that athlete to the max as they progress. So this is specifically for, we're looking at when they're reaching that 16, 17, 18 years of age, um, conditioning them to reach that max and to be able to sustain that level. And so then that 10 actually regresses to an 8 because they've been conditioned to maintain that 10 So then all of a sudden then it comes a seven. So then they're they're looking towards reaching that new max, that new peak performance, because we've touched on before that this is cyclical. So if you put the work in, you can condition that seven, then you can condition that eight then becomes a six and so on and so forth if you're following the pathway and obviously we've touched on the 10 years of play that sets you up for the next 10 and i know i touch on this in most episodes if not all but it's about putting in the work whether you know you're starting at eight nine ten years of age so that takes you to 20 years of age for example so that's your first 10 years which sets you up for that next 10 years so it's would say 20 to 30 and, and so on but it's again about progressing and developing those peak performance cycles but you cannot do that unless you have a very good understanding of the athlete what their max is if you have an understanding of what that two is that three is and obviously what, what a seven is to them on their performance output and then ironically of course it comes back to the amount of fluid they're losing that they what a certain performance, correlates with that sweat ratio because a five they could be absolutely sweating profusely and the same could obviously happen at the 10. So obviously they still need to replace their fluids, but it's not a very good indicator then in that case to their energy expenditure. Because if you're conversing with them, and obviously you've built a wonderful rapport, you're on the same page, you know that their output, their performance is peaking, absolutely peaking at that nine, 10, that's the absolute max. But the sweat's the same, like so physically. That's what you can see, but internally, that's not the case. And so that's why it's um, the caution is there, and caution always should be taken if you only use that as a ballpark, because that is obviously a, a big no um, in in those cases when we're looking at the the younger demographics sometimes it's easier to judge but it's not always the case so i think today's episode it's, it's so important to acknowledge that obviously every athlete player out there will perspire they will sweat at some stage but the work ratio for one athlete and what is required to have to for them to begin to perspire is going to be very different to the next. So look, if you want to follow along today, like I said, we're on page 174. So here we go. A natural part of development for all teenagers and all developmental athletes is to sweat. This natural cooling down mechanism doesn't kick into gear until the developmental years. This stage of development marks an important time for players, coaches and parents to monitor by monitoring the rate of perspiration and the amount of sweat players expire allows us to track or be aware of any changes in fluid loss whilst also being able to track increases in fluid loss as a result of direct activity involvement. So uh, this really talks to and talks back to the changes that obviously happen in a developing athlete which when we're looking at that developmental spectrum it could start anywhere between you know eight nine ten years of age sometimes earlier towards you know the later adolescence to the you know late teen years and it's just one of many signs that we can look out for and be mindful of that can give us a heads up almost like a a green flag uh, not a red flag a green flag to, to their progress but also to be incredibly mindful of i guess how they are developing as an athlete as a whole and then looking at how their performance is developing as well and how you can best manage that this, rate, um, this <laughs> rate understandably increases as the amount and intensity of training is increased. Knowing what to look for and what to learn from this rate and the amount of sweat expired is often overlooked. So that really talks back to, I think, what I've touched on about being mindful of what we can learn from this, but also making sure a ballpark is in place. So a mutual understanding, again, about the seven keys there, but a mutual understanding of what, you know, that six or seven, that energy expenditure that's required of them, and so we're saying, I'm at a level 7 right now and making sure that level 7 for that player is the same for the coach. Now, it gets a bit tricky for the coach here because if you're working with multiple athletes, you need to be incredibly mindful of what a 7 is for player A, for example, and what a 7 is for player B and so on because it's going to be different, so it's so important to be mindful of this. More often than not, it is expected that boys will be boys. I say this in reference to an expectation. Young boys will, uh, a a little on the nose. Sorry, boys. However, when it comes to girls, and if they are a little on the nose, sorry, girls, this is often misconceived. Now, I'm going to chime in here and what this really talks about a little lighthearted. So please, um apologies in advance if anyone's getting upset but this is very lighthearted, and if you've been listening for some time now you know where i'm coming from so thank you what this says is that this is a very new stage for a lot of adolescents the the younger players obviously um odour is does not come about what happens obviously through those developing years so obviously Adolescence, and we've all been there so we understand especially obviously for the parents coaches out there of course you have Uh, for the players you may be going through it you may have gone through or you're about to go through it but it's very important to be mindful of what this can tell us because obviously our sense of smell and if something's a little bit different in that respect so it's new the child or athlete they're not going to necessarily know that it is them to begin with and where it's coming from or what's causing it because again you really need to be mindful of that at the end of the day they are a child and it does not uh happen until later on in their adolescent years and we're talking 16 17 in most cases where and or when that child that athlete becomes more conscious of what that means and what that smell actually is and the associations. So and I'm sharing this to hopefully allow more people to step away from any um, predetermined judgments there because it's so important to remember that they are a child and they may not have obviously the knowledge around that more often than not they do not. And unless, obviously for the parents out there, a a conversation is being had. And look, the coaches, if you are conscious of this, please have a discussion with the parents because you can save that child, in all seriousness here, a lot of embarrassment that they may experience because of that. And for the players, athletes, children out there that may be listening, it's okay because everyone goes through this. it's really just being able to acknowledge and understand it. it's a part of life. It's a part of, I guess, growing up and going through adolescence. And it's really the responsible of the adults in the room to have that conversation, to allow you to be more conscious of that. And so for the coaches, actually your sense of smell in this respect is a very good indicator of this stage or phase of growth to be able to relay back to the parents but then also the parents to have that conversation with their child but also the coach to give them a heads up of this and it's also something that can be very easily monitored for um, obviously obvious reasons irrespective of gender, the rate and amount of sweat can tell you something. Although when it does come to being a uh, little on the nose, this is something you can seek advice from, from your general practitioner, to so your GP, and if it isn't controlled through general hygiene. Now I say this because at, a, at a, the younger players but it's also applicable for the uh, more mature athletes out there. So, you know, 16, 17 plus. Is that some children so athletes are going to sweat more than others and they can lead to other side effects now I will share a personal recount here so for all I think the athletes plays in the room I really hope this story makes you feel a little bit more comfortable I was one of those uh, players that obviously I sweated more and there wasn't anything else other than just my genetics in that respect i just sweated more and it was really that simple but unfortunately one of the uh, side effects to that is that i developed pigmentation on my forehead now this is something that actually at the time was very common and i say that because a lot of my friends back then in school had a similar situation. And so this is where it comes to having that conversation with the coaches and the parents, but also being mindful of the actual other causes and obviously there are treatments involved and and it was addressed with my GP at the time, but it's really having a more open mind that there are other effects that can happen and genetics obviously do play a part and that everyone is different. So there are steps that you can put in place to mitigate that, to treat that, Etc. and it, it's the case for boys and girls. It is not necessarily sweat, okay, it's just fluid loss, deal with it. There can be other side effects, and we do not know this until that child, obviously, goes through adolescence and experience that to be treated. It obviously is just, I mean, it's not the same, but it, a lot of uh, adolescents experience differences with their skin for example and we know that it doesn't happen to every child out there more often than not it will happen and children do go through that so through those developmental years but that's not the case for everyone and different treatments work for obviously different children different athletes and this is one of those situations or cases where when we're looking at sweat and what it can tell us there also is an an other side so it's not just performance based it's obviously also health based and to be able to have those conversations with the parent but also a gp if needed and or necessary to address that what does our sweat really tell us as coaches the rate a person sweats developmental or not is individual there is not a set rate sure there is a perceived norm but this is entirely dependent on the rate so the intensity and amount the duration of the activity now this is again something I touched on early on that everyone is different and the intensity and the duration I think a good markers by all means so a session could go for 15 minutes 30 minutes it could go for two hours uh, and it could be in the middle of winter it could be in the middle of summer and depending obviously on your environment and that intensity and the duration, your body is going to show varying signs. Um, Obviously we could expect in summer for higher fluid loss, but if that intensity and the duration is the same in winter, you most likely are losing similar amounts of fluid, but you are not showing it as the same that you may in summer. An athlete who fits this mold, the norm, may be involved in moderate activity of an hour's duration three times a week. That sounds fair, right? Relatively. I can guarantee you the rate of perspiration will differ between athletes due to their own unique physiological makeup, their unique cooling response when their body heats up. This heating up process brings us to climate, the environment okay so this really talks directly back to from what i've just shared about you know the example about summer winter the environment and the different impacts on the body so obviously if you fall into the norm your physiological response is probably going to be quite typical you're going to sweat more and or sweat less in cooler months though if your intensity again and the duration is is at a set rate so your intensity could typically be at that seven eight the duration let's say that between that one to two hours you really need to ask yourself if you're being conscious the body is going to naturally ask for more fluids in um, hotter environments though in cooler environments it may not uh, your natural response may not ask you to drink let's say an extra liter of water when really that's what you need to do and it's really uh, important for coaches to monitor this to also coach their players and athletes in this respect because that is part of your responsibility to help that uh, conditioned response when we're looking at that cause effect and the cause obviously is the performance the effect is that fluid loss. but so conditioning that your player that athlete to intake that fluid so they are able to recover dependent on the environment you are used to the climate be it hot cold balmy freezing or somewhere in between all athletes are innately conditioned to withstand the environment their body perceives as this norm and this is a a bit of a fun uh, topic here because um here i am based in australia and i get to live in a really wonderful part of the world in i think one of the luckiest climates but that's my norm. So my body personally is has been normalized or conditioned to warmer environments, which means my response in cooler environments is actually going to regress. I am going to experience a, a more significant level of discomfort, trust me, than those who are actually, that climate has been normalized to them. So for example, and I'll work in Celsius here, you may be conditioned to train in 25 to 27 degrees Celsius on a regular basis, which for most here, it's spring-summer time. However, in other parts of the world, that is a more severe summertime. For us here, it's just normal. However, if you are conditioned to train in, you know, that 12 to 15 degrees Celsius, that's your norm and that's your normal body response because that's obviously what you've been conditioned in which means when you go to play in a a similar environment between that 25 to 27 degrees you are going to be more stressed that is not what you are used to so the likelihood of you perspiring and sweating even more is incredibly high and you need to be able to reach that new conditioning level but the same happens for someone who is accustomed to training in that environment so a hot environment to acclimatize back to that those cooler environments because what happens here is that it really depends on what your norm is and what that response is and then for the coaches if you're changing that environment to take time to be very mindful of that change to condition the athlete for that given environment. So when it really comes to sweat, it's going to be completely different. An athlete who trains in hotter climates and then goes to a cooler environment, you're not going to be able to tell as much and or monitor athlete as much in the cooler climate because their rate of perspiration externally, so what you can actually see visibly is going to be very different. Obviously, this is not the case for all, but it's more more often than not. So fluid replacement is still going to be very similar because of obviously energy expenditure to intensity to obviously and catering for that uh, recovery time. So it's very important to be mindful of your environment. This means that their body has a conditioned response and that this response will differ from someone who is not used to that environment. Think, players who have a summer season compared to athletes who have a winter season where there is no crossover. This doesn't necessarily answer the question though of what does the amount of rate of sweat tell us. Now, we're going to finish on that one because I, I think you've nudged it. We're talking about the rate of sweat, but I'm going to leave that for, you know, for the rest of the chapter. But... The important piece here is about, obviously, the summer to winter and the seasons, because there are some sports around the world, irrespective of where you are, that are either summer sports and winter sports. But when we're looking at tennis, um, tennis is all seasons, which means it is played all year round. Uh, More often than not, um, the WTA and ATP tours respectively obviously are set in summer climates so warmer climates more often than not but again if you were in an australian player or based in hotter climates just for example Playing in a different environment, so from the Australian Open to Wimbledon is going to be very different because your experiences temperatures on average that are 30 degrees, that then go to about 20 degrees if you're lucky. Now, and again, Celsius, or all the Fahrenheit ones out there, we're going to have to convert. So what we're really talking about is being very mindful of this and that while sweat is one performance indicator, There are so many others to be mindful of however sweat is so important and it can tell us so many things for the coaches out there it's critical to be mindful of that i cannot tell you how many coaches i've come across over the years who ignore this who do not take this into consideration or treat one athlete the same as all the others out there. So it's so important to be able to have that conversation with your player about what fluid means to them what obviously sweat means to them what perspiration means to them what it feels like to get them to understand because that's what we started today's episode about is that one of the seven keys that are about understanding is absolutely fundamental because again one athlete's going to understand differently to the next so it's about that level of perception and obviously the, the communication exchange there and your ability to be understood opposed to um miscommunicated in that respect, which obviously leads to the misperceptions, etc., and so on. So when we're really getting to the nitty gritty and we're serious about heading towards that top 10 tennis ranking, these are little inferences um, that happen very early on that lead obviously towards the pathway and prepare the athlete for the long game. And when you are at the elite echelon of play, so you are top 100, top 80 top 50 you are progressing if you do not have a a relatively really good grasp on your sweat to your perspiration rate and obviously that energy expenditure there and you are not replacing your fluids to i guess that are conducive with what with what you're losing Your recovery is going to suffer, which means you are going to stagnate, your performance is going to plateau, and you are not going to progress towards that top 10 tennis ranking. And I know the topic of sweat in and of itself does not seem as applicable towards heading towards uh, that top 10 tennis ranking but in matter of fact, it does, because we're setting up the different tools, the different discrepancies that set one player apart from the next. And if we can implement these practices from an early age and the coaches, setting up the coaches for success here, giving you the tools to know the markers or what you need to look for, so you can then move the marker to the next level. So towards that next peak performance cycle, fluid, and sweat, the perspiration, it really does play a part when we're really getting serious about developing that top 10 tennis ranking. Thank you so much for joining us today. I look, to grab a copy of The Secrets to Optimal Performance Success, head on over to AM8 International. That is am8international.com. And look, I know we finished a bit quick, but I, I didn't want to overshare about sweat because there's so much to be learned there, but it's really individual and personal. So obviously, if you want to dive in more and learn more, Please take a peek then and read through the rest of that chapter because it's such an important marker and it's a visible one that we can be conscious of. Um, For any comments or questions on today's episode, please head on over to AMA International or Topic Thread. that's the only social network that I'm on. For something different, head on over uh, to Pink Octopus Books, that's my fictional release and I will leave all links in the episode notes if you'd like to say hi to us and or you enjoyed today's episode please subscribe follow to like that would be absolutely phenomenal but also beyond top 10 tennis is on tiktok threads instagram twitter um linkedin you'll find us so irrespective what platform you are on please come and say hi Um, we'd love to hear from you and your thoughts and and obviously if you're listening on Spotify because we are on a handful of platforms although Spotify does have those polls so you can we have got weekly questions to those polls you can participate in and I do personally look at all of them and they really do help us shape our episodes now and to come and they draw really good insights so we can better design and shape shape um, our episodes for you so if you've got the chance please do that that'll be awesome all right so on that note I really hope you enjoyed today's episode it's a little bit different but when we're looking at the athlete body there's so much we can dive into and we're we're just getting started so on that note thank you so much for listening I am so grateful thank you so much I am your host Dr. Ashley Morgan Burge and this is Beyond Top 10 Tennis and I'll see you next time